Welcome to The Nest Show, the podcast that brings you insights into the crypto market, trading and investment experiences, and what we're looking forward to as we navigate the space together. In today's podcast, we discuss the ways in which bad habits can masquerade as good trading practice and snuff out your hard-earned profits. Your host and our guest will discuss our own experiences and how we've evolved to become the traders we are today. You will not want to miss today's evolutionary episode of The Nest Show. What The Nest Show is, this is a podcast brought to you by the Birdnest community, an independent crypto and forex-centered trading community built to sharpen each other in capturing opportunities in the market while protecting capital and positions along the way. What this is not, trading advice. We are not financial advisors and you should not regard any information here or in the Nest Club as financial advice. You should always consult a licensed financial advisor before making any financial decisions. Folks, I am so excited today to be joined by our special guest, Aperture, who you will also hear referred to as Ape. In addition to holding a master's degree in psychology, Aperture is also a data scientist. Although his academic career is enough to make most listeners blush, he didn't stop there. In addition to these things, he's also a very successful trader. Aperture, thanks so much for joining us today. How are you, man? Hey, Ben. I'm fine. How are you? I'm doing great. Listen, after reading more of your resume, I was so excited to have you on as a featured guest. Can you tell listeners a little bit more about your background and what you're doing today? Yeah, so it's uh, it's composed of multiple parts, my, my history. Uh, one of the main parts is that I come from a psychology background. I did my master's degree in cognitive psychology. And I think the part of that that relates to trading is heuristics, so rules of thinking and decision-making. And in the cognitive psychology, we also work a lot with data and big data, uh, for example, eye tracking or MRI scans. And from there, I started programming and getting interested in AI uh, and neural networks. Uh, so I just teach myself about it and uh, I ended up as a data scientist and I just like to work with numbers and decision making. So trading comes naturally to me. I think it's also good to have this knowledge in building algorithms, but also just building my manual trading systems. Aperture, there are so many things that you just said that I would love to key in on, but for the sake of time, I want to just offer one choice. When you say tracking eye movements in relation to human psychology or learning and development, what is the thesis of that study? I, I think it's mostly attention, how attention is uh, directed towards the information that is presented to the viewer, to the subject. And it gives information about what a subject is looking at and interested in. Uh, for example, if we're going to do this trading related, uh, when you're looking at a chart, you're looking at specific patterns. Your eyes also make specific uh, movements. You can distinguish what is interesting to the reader or the viewer by just looking at the eye movement. Well, I get the feeling that we could go down the rabbit hole just as far as our lugs could carry us with that one. Yeah, yeah. let's don't do that. <laughs> in, in lieu of doing that, we of course bring in our fearless and spectacular co-host Sponge. Sponge, what's going on, brother? How are you doing, man? Happy to be here. I'm excited to, to talk about this stuff with Aperture. I think it's going to be a really interesting episode. Absolutely. And of course, we will have plenty to cover. So with that, we'll just jump right into it. The pitfalls of an intermediate trader. A little knowledge is a dangerous thing. Like many newest traders, I hated to lose money. 
and therefore I would set my stop loss pretty darn tight. But the tricky thing about a stop loss, set it too tight and you can call it a sure loss. If you're sweating a little breathing room on your stop loss, one of two things is true. Either you don't have a confident enough trading rationale to discern the trade's proper invalidation point and should reevaluate, or you're too highly leveraged and should reduce your capital exposure. And if you can't clearly discern your trade rationale, but still take the trade, you're operating from a false scarcity mindset that the market won't provide you with a better suited setup. Similarly, if you're too highly leveraged to give your trade proper room to breathe because you think you must make XYZ profit on this trade, you're again operating from a place of limitation. Money is made from trade to trade, but true wealth is generated by successful portfolio management multiplied by time. In order to stay at the table long enough to really amass wealth, one must not lose his shirt during appetizers. The market operates on the notion that a trader eats what he kills. Therefore, each trade should be considered akin to a hunting expedition. The capital deployed in a trade is your hunting party. To send it off without proper equipment would be irresponsible, and against a saber-toothed market, an unequipped hunting party is sure to incur horrific losses. Before entering a trade, I learned that I must have a trading rationale that will ensure my hunting party returns with either a kill or with minimal losses to hunt another day. Included near the top of this list is the point at which my trade is invalidated. You do not want to set your stop loss loosely and wait until the market is turned against you and the saber tooth is eating its way through 30% of your capital. When that capital returns to camp with 30% of the hunting party gone, the camp will rightfully wonder whether or not they're going to make it through winter. It's worth repeating. Once the invalidation points reached, the trade is over and it's time to call the hunting party home. If you don't have an invalidation point, it's not a trade, it's a gamble. And the market will waste no time in emptying your trading account with joyless algorithmic exactitude. Aperture, what can you tell us about your evolution with stop losses? When I started, I it was like the 2017 bull run. I just bought coins. I uh, just bought some coins and everything started pumping. So I never heard of a stop loss. Uh, I started reading about the market and then I was like, yeah, but why do I need a stop loss? Uh, everything's going up. And if it doesn't pump, I'm just in the wrong coin and I just switch to another coin. Um, but eventually the market turned and there I learned that it would be much better to have a stop loss in place. Um, because I saw coins like going minus 90% and there I understood I needed a stop loss. Uh, so I started reading more about risk management and um, having a stop loss in place. And I think I have two strategies right now. I think one is is on like more leveraged uh, Bitcoin and Ethereum trades. Those are trades where I look where there are pockets of liquidity and I catch uh, set my entry there. And where these pockets end, uh, and that's also just below or above resistance and support, that, that's where the stop loss is. And that's exactly what you said. That's where the trade absolutely gets invalidated. Then the, the liquidity can be soaked up and the trade uh, goes against me. Then there is a second one, and that one is uh, on altcoins. Um, it works a bit the same, but... I think I like to interpret the price action more. So in most of the cases, I don't have a stop loss directly in place, but I, I have a plan and I have to stick to this plan because otherwise I'll get absolutely wrecked. 
because sometimes you have large wicks on these exchanges and they stop uh, you out because of the illiquidity of these coins. And, and I had to get used to that because uh, first I set them on the exchange, I got stopped out and um, I, I was playing around with it and I, I got a bit um, annoyed by that. And now I just set alerts or wait for the candle close and I accept that it can take a little bit more um, loss, but in the long run, it saves me a lot of trouble. It makes me lose less. Right on, Aperture. Well, I'm happy to hear that your evolution has reached this point of development. Sponge, what about you, man? What's your stop-loss journey been like? Well, my journey's been in some ways very similar to Aperture's and, and in some ways different. I mean, early on in my trading, I definitely had a lack of knowledge about stop-losses. I mean, I knew they existed, but not necessarily how to appropriately use them. Like enter trades and I'd, I'd have a stop loss that was just kind of essentially random. Like I'd look at it, look at the chart and I'd go, yeah, stop loss there. No worries. And obviously then, then very quickly you learn, uh, that's, that's not the case. Uh, you shouldn't, you shouldn't be doing that. And, and you're going to end up losing a lot more than you even expected because you know, you might not, well, me personally, I might not have calculated the exact loss versus my position size and things like that. So you learn very quickly or, or you lose everything. So I had to learn very quickly that there's a little bit more to stop losses than just placing it at an arbitrary area. In my experience, I used stop losses inappropriately at first and then and then learned that actually, you know, I need to figure out the right position sizing to begin with, find the invalidation points and set my stop losses so that, you know, so that you're not you're not over risking your, your account. I think another thing that probably inexperienced traders will, will be doing, which is something that I've personally done, I expect a lot of other other good traders have done as well, is is moving your stop loss. So you might find that price goes against you and, and then it's, you know, it's approaching your stop loss. So you, you think, oh, I'll, I'll just move it down. That looks like a good place. And then, you know, and price continues, damn, I've lost, I've lost an extra like 3% or something that I didn't want to lose or I've oversized. And that's, that percentage is actually higher on account. In my journey, personally, I, as I sort of move towards um, automated trading, my, my systems are very strict in terms of their stop losses. I don't necessarily look for the same stuff that maybe Aperture or other traders do. I don't necessarily look for, a specific invalidation point, but I know I know the statistics of my systems. So over the course of time and backtesting my own systems, I know statistically, for example, one of my systems, I know a 5% stop loss is the right percentage to use because statistically the stop loss won't get hit, you know, so many times out of 100, etc. I found that to be quite good personally, but I can see that obviously other people will, will approach it differently. But but the idea is really that you need to, uh, you need to backtest your own trading strategy and and basically just just find the uh, the invalidation point that suits that strategy. And if that happens to be a wider percentage, then you just have to adjust your position size accordingly. So like with my system, I never use the altcoin system, at least I don't ever use uh, more than 25% of my account because I know with that 5% stop loss, 25% of my account, I can never lose more than 1.25%. And I know statistically that stop loss won't get hit if my trade parameters are met. So that's really where I've sort of ended up. All right, let's talk about the next one, overtrading. Trading balance is key, and it's best informed by a disciplined trading rationale. Overtrading usually comes from one of three parents. You got a new toy, and you want to take her out for a spin. You've had a few wins, and you're feeling extra cocky. Or worst of all, you've had a few losses, and you are now revenge trading. Number one, the new toy cycle is similar to a child in his play zone. This typically occurs when a trader discovers a new indicator on TradingView, a new trading system, or has just gained access to a new source of trading calls. Nothing is inherently wrong with new toys, and I encourage traders to always keep learning and honing their skills, but new toys should be incorporated over time and after a paper trade testing period. There will always be opportunities in the market to use your tools. 
and they will inevitably become more valuable with greater exposure to time and experience. And then there's the winner's circle, where as a budding trader, you will of course experience a win streak. Congrats! Similar to a craps player in Vegas, you want to let it ride. You feel in the zone. And hell, you may even be right. You double down on wins. Leverage up. Spread your coins around and see what happens. Unfortunately, like a parabolic chart, this mode leads to a breakdown by way of number three. Number three, welcome to the inevitable. A couple of your trades went south and you didn't even notice that your risk management was a little skewed. You thought to yourself, I'll get to the stop loss later. Maybe you had the proper rationale in place, but the stop loss was a stop limit instead of a stop market and the trading engine skipped right over you without even a kiss on the cheek. You're in the red and incredulously will yourself into the vengeful rationale that you will somehow tame the market into submission. Don't do that. Shut the laptop. Walk away from the computer. Splash some water on your face. Go to the gym. Take the old lady that lives across the hall for a walk. Do anything but sit staring at the charts. You're now on tilt, and the market is happy to take your money. Though it is as indifferent to you now as it was when you thought you had it bent to your dominion. Step back, reassess, journal, regroup, and live to hunt another day. I think it, it mostly comes down to that personal sort of discipline. And I think um, I think the points you raised there are great. And I think certainly something that's, that I've, I've personally experienced is after a, a win streak, you know, I might have won a bunch of trades in a row and, and I've got to that, that stage of overconfidence where I think, yeah, you know, I, I can't lose right now. Like everything's going perfectly. So, so you, maybe you oversize or, or you, you risk a little more, you put, you put a little wider stop loss or, you know, you, if you ignore your own system or you or you take a trade that doesn't make sense, you know, versus the price action that appears on the chart in front of you, I think that can be very detrimental to, to an intermediate trader. And, and it's something that everyone knows not to do. And yet, I think even probably those of us that are more experienced will still occasionally, you know, make that mistake of, of overtrading due to due to maybe a level of confidence that's come from from a win streak. But yeah, and certainly revenge trading as well. I think that's that's something that in my own my own past is is definitely been something that uh, that I've had to work on. I, I wouldn't say I've ever, I've perfected that. I don't think necessarily you can ever really perfect that in manual trading. I think there'll always be some level of input from the psychology of a losing streak or a winning streak that can be detrimental to your trading frequency. I guess. And I think the best thing is to take a step back. You know, after a losing streak, take a step back. After a win streak, do the same thing and just you know reassess. Maybe wait a day before you make another trade. Things like that. I have some psychology background on that because the prospect of getting money is very addictive. And in the brain, you probably heard of the neurotransmitter dopamine, and dopamine is quite addictive. That's why cocaine is addictive, because it triggers dopamine. But also the prospect of money triggers dopamine. And uh, I think when you're on a winning streak, um, you get a feeling that you can do it. And um, the prospect is winning even more. And you're already imagining you have your Lambo um, in front of your, your house. Um, and th- that's, that addiction glues you to the screen and makes you put on another trade. But in reality, your risk reward is probably worse because every trend pulls back and every market that goes up uh, goes down eventually. Um, And when you're just thinking it goes up uh, and when you're behaving like it will always go up, you'll become overexposed because you'll probably have too much on the line. 
you maybe don't have your stop losses in place or have them too wide or aren't locking in the profits you have in your account. So I, I think it's, it's, it's addiction that's one of the biggest reasons for overtrading. It's like uh, gambling as well. I think it's the same sort of situation, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, a gambling is, uh, th that's why there is a gambling addiction, uh, because it's addictive to uh, win money. Uh, but uh, the problem with um, gambling is that the casino is always rigged and it works against you. Uh, the great thing about trading is that um, you can rig your own game, because if you have strategies in place and you know your odds and your odds are in your favor, um, you play those odds and I think you can't over trade if you have a system that um, facilitates uh, taking those trades. So you can take 100 trades a day as long as they are in your system and you know your statistics from your system and you know um, eventually you will be profitable. That's fine. But most systems and most trades people take are on the four hour chart, the daily chart. And you can do those multiple times a day. I, I think you can only put those on a few times in a few weeks. Uh, so don't behave like you can do one every day. You, you just can. You guys summarize those points beautifully. And on the other side of the spectrum, of course, under trading. Under trading isn't nearly as detrimental to your portfolio balance as over trading, but its impact lingers all the same. Under trading is not what happens when you step away from the charts to unplug, which I highly recommend. Under trading is what happens when you violate your system by not taking a trade that meets your system's requirements. The under trade mistake occurs when a trader sees a setup that meets all his requisite conditions, but sits on his hands for no good reason at all, watching petrified as it sets sail without him. If you have a gut feeling not to enter a trade, all good. I do it all the time. If I know I'm not going to have the time available to manage a trade in the way that I'm comfortable, I walk away. I don't think about it. What I'm talking about is when I see something that I'm looking for, I recognize it, and I fail to take action. If a trader has a system that has historically yielded favorable outcomes a majority of the time, it's that trader's obligation to objectively participate in the system that he's crafted, with proper risk management, of course. When you don't follow your system and fail to take primo trades, you erode your confidence and self-discipline and become more apt to take trades that you shouldn't. Furthermore, you feed that corrosive internal narrative that you are in some way insufficient and can't get ahead, even when you have the tools to do so. Spare yourself and everyone else in your life the drama. When there is food at the table, eat, or else hunger strike against your own prosperity. Pro tip, eating is so much more fun. Funny you touch on this subject because I'm actually going through something exactly like this right now. I was uh, I was just talking to Aperture before we started the podcast, and uh, this isn't so much triggered by um, by a loss and me sitting out deliberately, but I, I'm I, I missed out on a trade at the start of the year um, because I was I was moving stuff around and I I hadn't had my system active, and essentially I missed out on a uh, on a trade that entered on the third of January, and if I can just look quickly look at my chart now it closed on the 26th of February. And that was one single trade from my system that, that I missed out on. And I had to, uh, I had to use every part of my willpower not to jump in with a higher entry, um, not to get involved in any way. And I, and I sat on my hands for, for over a month and I missed out on a 35% trade. Um, and then straight after 
I've I've come into two successive loss trades, small losses, but but ne- nonetheless, you know, sort of losing trades. And um, it's it's not so much that I'd I'd had a losing trade and I and I sat out of the market, but it's certainly something that that I've had to deal with on an emotional and psychological standpoint because uh, because I missed out on a trade that would have you know made me maybe thirty percent on account. So it's been something that I've I've not really had to experience too much. I don't tend to really sit out of the market all that much, but in doing it, it's been a learning experience in discipline. And I think coming out the other side of it, I've I've come out sort of stronger psychologically. Um, an approach to my trading and as I was saying to Aperture I've I've had a couple of small losses after that and I've just got to sit and wait for my system I can't jump in and, and start making silly trades I can't I can't stay out of the market you just got to accept that these things can happen and, and and just sort of ride with it and and if, if you do are if you are sort of enticed to stay out of the market longer I'd probably advise against that because although you know you've got two sides of the spectrum you've got the over trading um, which is going to be detrimental, but like you said, the under trading is also detrimental because you might miss out on on something that's a, that's a huge move. But then you've got that that sort of fine line between sort of missing out and fear of missing out, like the FOMO side of things. You don't you don't want to miss out on on a large move, but you certainly don't want to jump in on something that doesn't logically make sense to your strategy, and and then you know get get wrecked in the in the process. Absolutely. And, and Aperture, how, how has under trading informed your psychology or have you had any experience either with yourself or with colleagues, uh, on, on, uh, under trading? Yeah, I think it, it comes down, um, on the fear of pulling the trigger, uh, like not having the confidence to see the setup that stopped out multiple times before, uh, but it was a tactic that was working and, and then not take, taking the trade and then see it running uh, a few days later. That, that's how I experienced it personally. Uh, and it's, it's, it comes from the fear of losing, uh, losing again, um, because you, you've been stopped out multiple times. Your, your system is actually isolated, your trading system. Uh, it's some rules you know that work statistically, but there are always conditions from the market that you haven't incorporated in the system. And those can happen and your risk management should take that into account. That's why we use stop losses. That's why stuff doesn't work 100% of the time. But you you have to make sure that if that happens, um, you take the loss. And next time, the conditions around it um, might be different, but your setup uh, is the same. So you just play the setup and maybe all conditions are now in your favor. And, and that's when I started backtesting my, um, my systems more. And it's backtesting is normally done uh, in, in, in code, but I also done it manually. Um, I remember that once I was seeking for um, a Fibonacci strategy of mine, and I just went down the Bitcoin chart on the one hour and I collected, I think, more than 150 data points manually. It, it took me more than 10 hours just writing it down to see if the strategy worked. But if, if you have that many experiences in the market by just looking back and using your, your trading program, uh, trading for you, for example, to see if your strategy works, um, th- th- that gives you confidence. So fr- from that moment on, I, I, that strategy, I just uh, slammed on Fibonacci indicator and I, I just set the orders and walked away because I knew that if I 
did this long enough, it would be profitable. And it still is, <laughs> still is to this day. I, I can always fall back on it and I still have the, the numbers and um, that, that gives some confidence. Uh, and that, that's why I, I don't fear losing because I know I'll be winning eventually. We were talk I was talking with an old friend about uh, Bitcoin and blockchains. He'd seen that I'd mentioned it on one of my other social medias and uh, he told me that he'd been involved with Bitcoin at the start. And he said, and I quote, well, the first time, believe it or not, was when Bitcoin was about 40 cents and I sold every bit of it at $3. Before you say, yeah, I think about it every single day. And then, uh, unfortunately, he went on to talk about uh, Ripple at 25 cents and how they'll be huge. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I think he, he went through that. Rest in peace. Yeah, rest in peace indeed. He went through that roller coaster of emotion watching Bitcoin, I imagine, go all the way to 20,000. He's now got that kind of detrimental psychology or, or maybe mismanaged um, information that the XRP is going to do something similar. Um, much like, you know, what would my life be like? That kind of thing. To be honest, I think it's a perfect trade he did. Oh, it's great, yeah. It, it, it did a multiple X, um, but I think the problem afterwards is that he didn't compound it correctly or didn't have strategies in place how to um, put those gains to work for him again and do the same thing. Well, you know, th he's, he's a very interesting subject matter because I actually, I went to college with this guy and directly after college, his um, his grandmother or his grandfather passed away and I believe he got quite quite a large inheritance and he, he went to invest a load of it. And I think he put about 50% of it into Bitcoin at the start and, and at that point he sold. And, and like, you know, the guy made a hell of a lot of money and I didn't hear from him for about three years because he was just off around the world traveling, enjoying the money and stuff. But unfortunately, I think it was... It was just a, a case of right place, right time. Someone had told him about it. Someone had said, and he'd been advised by someone else, and, and he took the trade. But unfortunately, he, like you said, he never managed to compound those gains. He never entered the market again until 2018, where he bought Ripple. I, like, I don't even want to think about what happened with that. But yeah, you know, he never sort of capitalized on the situation, which is really unfortunate. All right, greedy entries. Just because you didn't catch the front row seats to your favorite band doesn't mean that you should turn down tickets to the mezzanine. Sitting in the parking lot, mulling over the wick into your buy zone that barely missed your 0.5 fib retracement is a lot of things. But what it's not is a good look. Solution. When you have a high probability setup with a handsome strike rate, layer your orders appropriately to ensure that you catch at least some of the action. Outside of high-intensity breakouts or certain scalp plays, it's always advisable to layer your orders in a range. This serves to ensure at least some of your orders are hit and massages your psychology to appreciate when the market inevitably exceeds your expectations. Greedy exits. This should be a fun walk down memory lane for basically anyone in crypto since the fall of 2017. On the importance of taking profits, the great lesson on realizing profit. It doesn't matter what you hold, but when you bought and when you sold. Aperture, in terms of your psychological background, what do greedy entries and exits mean to you? Part of is that um, traders want to optimize their, their gains. Um, and I think uh, on the, the surface of that, um, it's, it's just, just wanting the perfect trade. But 
Um, from a psychology theory point of view, there is uh, the prospect theory. And um, Daniel Kahneman and uh, his colleagues have researched how people think of gains and losses. People are attracted to very small gains and they often are risk averse of very small losses. And I think it's in, in those very small gains that they want to have a couple of dollars better entry. Uh, that that brings them so much joy, while it it doesn't matter on the total trade. And for for the in, for the uh, listeners, please look up prospect theory because I'm, I'm not going in depth in this. But uh, I think that's the reason why uh, people want that optimal entry. But uh, in theory, uh, you can get that uh, perfect entry, but it's not in the market because the market is a very uncertain condition and it has a lot of noise in there so you have to account for that noise and you can put in multiple orders that um, uh, are uh, below each other and uh, have a suboptimal um, uh, order where you just don't touch that 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 good entry and uh, one that's your perfect entry and one that's the even best entry ever because there will always be noise uh, the market will overextend a little bit um, or just that doesn't touch that 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 0.5 fib you're eyeing but that way you catch the move if you incorporate that in your trading just setting multiple orders uh, it makes it a bit easier so you always catch that trade you want uh, because if that's in your system you should go for it and what about you, Sponge? What's your experience with greed in all forms, entries and exits? In terms of greed and stuff, I mean, something I actually had to change in the last few months with one of my own systems, and this would apply probably to manual traders as well. I came to the realization that one of my entries, or one of my entry parameters at least, was actually a little bit too aggressive. I used to enter the moment a parameter was met rather than waiting for confirmation as such. And that confirmation for me, at least, was was candle close. I, I probably was acting on some level of greed before where I'd, I'd wait for, say, you know, a level to be touched and then I'd enter right away, full position size, set, stop set, everything just ready to go. And I actually found that if I waited for candle close on that on that um, time frame, then, you know, sometimes I'd find maybe a slightly less good entry or other times I would find... Um, and even better, you know, more aggressive entry, and I and I'd be able to, to to get a better price for for what I wanted. I th I think that's that's been something that's been a huge benefit to my trading, at least, um, and and can probably wait be good for for other traders as well. Is is not to necessarily just you know aggressively enter directly the second that your parameter gets touched, like you know maybe a, a 0.5 Fibonacci test, like you said. You know you can you can enter there right away, yeah, of course, but. Um, it's, sometimes it's better to just level those uh, those orders. Maybe set one at the, at the fib. Maybe set one slightly above. Maybe set one slightly above, below. And then you know your average entry might end up being better. Or potentially maybe you miss out on one of those entries. But but at least you've managed the greed response to to something happening. And closing up for our listeners, Aperture and Sponge, I'd love to give you the opportunity to touch on any personal experiences or points that you want to make sure our listeners leave with. I think one of the most important things is not only managing your capital, but also managing your mental capital. Um, because we talked about the fear of losing, the fear of pulling the trigger and not taking a stop loss. And it can be hard sometimes to have losses 
Um, and I, I think one, one funny tip I want to share with you is that if you have a lot of wins, uh, you're absolutely nailing every trade and everything is going your way. Uh, do something humble. Don't go celebrating. Don't pop open a bottle of champagne, but, um, be, be humble, be humble. Um, but if you take some losses, please, um, do something fun. Take your mind off trading and reset yourself so that when you come back, you'll be charged with new energy and have confidence and don't have those negative emotions with you. And I think we will we'll do a podcast later on about how to uh, manage your, your yourself and, and your emotions. But that's one for the future. And Sponge, what about you? What would you like to leave our listeners with? I think certainly for intermediate traders and maybe advanced traders actually as well, the main thing I could leave as a takeaway is, is to not to discount where you are and appreciate that, that you're obviously doing well and obviously try and maintain that, but don't discount the lessons that you learned early on. I think you'll find if you speak to any other trader who's been in it for a couple of years or any longer, they'll have a very similar experience and learning curve to yourself and there's lessons that you learn very early on that never ever lose their their relevancy. I think it's important to go back on on your own trading history, especially if you keep a journal or something like that. But but generally, even just internally, you know, we never we'll never forget that big loss we made or the time we we made a huge win and then it raised it by overtrading things like that. I think as long as you remember those things and and you try and keep it in the back of your mind every day when you're trading, you'll probably pull through. Well, Sponge, I want to thank you for being here today, man. You've been gracious with your weekend and your insights, and it's always a pleasure. No problem, man. Pleasure's all mine. Aperture, it's wonderful having you on, man. You help us so much behind the scenes, and it's always great to converse with you, especially in a forum like this, man. You you have a lot of awesome insights, and, and I thank you for it. It was fun to be finally on the show, and thank you for being our wonderful host. Thanks, Aperture, for coming on. I appreciate it. All right, guys, that about wraps it up for today's episode of The Nest Show. I'd like to thank our listeners for joining this episode of The Nest Show. We invite you to connect with our guest on Twitter. Aperture is at A-P-E underscore R-T-U-R-E. Sponge is at SpongeCoinBob. And I'm at BenjaminT1717. If you've appreciated the depth and breadth of what you've heard with us today, subscribe to our podcast and find our landing page at theburbnest.com. We have a vibrant Discord community which acts as our central hub of operations, and we welcome you to join us by visiting theburbnest.com discord. We also offer an extensive free bulletin on emerging crypto market trends, exclusive undervalued gem reports, and in-depth expert technical and fundamental analysis at theburbnest.com bulletin. We always appreciate engagement from our community, which of course means liking the video and subscribing to our page, where we insist on bringing you the highest quality content available. Also, we're happy to incorporate tips and topics from our listeners and encourage you to email us at thenestshow at theburbnest.com. After much demand, we are excited to finally introduce a host of delicious merch. Starting with my favorite, an assortment of comfortable hoodies. You can now sport your Burbnest pride in style with our branded goodies. Be sure to visit theburbnest.com slash merch for more info. And don't forget to check out at CryptoBurb on Twitter for ongoing merch giveaways and more ways to participate with our community. This podcast has been brought to you by The Burb Nest. Thank you and trade on. <laughs>